In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I address this sermon primarily to myself. That's partly because I think all sermons are just sermons to yourself and you just hope that other people might find them relevant. But particularly this one, because this one is about silent prayer. And it's something that I really struggle with. I'm an activist and I'm an extrovert. And so uh, silent prayer is not something that comes naturally to me. And I think uh, it's been one of the frustrations of um, these last few months uh, when you might have thought that uh, if there was ever a time uh, to uh, really uh, have a chance to spend a good amount of time in silent prayer, develop a good habit, uh, I've really failed to discover that. <laughs> I think it's my own fault, but um, there's been uh, always stuff to do. Uh, always people around the house. Nobody goes to school anymore or out to work, and so I'm uh, never left to myself. And, uh, and there's been this constant noise, as it were, uh, through, through our phones and devices on, on all the sort of WhatsApp groups and everything else that we're part of. All the things that keep us in touch with each other uh, create this kind of background uh, noise, as it were. Uh, but they're just excuses. Um, and I know that when I do manage to uh, set aside time for silent prayer, for that kind of contemplation when you just still the mind, it has a very positive effect. Not always noticeable uh, at the time, but generally, generally noticeable when you look back on the day and see, uh, and see what actions flowed. Uh, I tend to find that I'm a little, little bit less grouchy and a little bit less, uh, have a little less tendency to, uh, to do stupid things <laughs> if I've, uh, I've just spent that time in silent prayer. And the readings that we've had uh, this morning uh, just go to underline the importance of this practice. A practice uh, that uh, goes back the centuries. In our first reading from 1 Kings chapter 19, we hear about Elijah, the great prophet, who had just won his big victory over the prophets of Baal at Carmel and had good reason to think that uh, that was it, that he had really shown the king and, uh, and the Israelites uh, that Yahweh was the true God and that they would go back to worshipping him and not the gods of Baal. But King Ahab uh, reversed everything and Elijah went off uh, up, up into the wilderness and up the mountain uh, to lick his wounds, really, 
in the midst of his desolation. And there uh, he seeks God. And uh, it says that uh, there was a great and strong wind, but God was not in the wind. There was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Or as the uh, new translations have it, the sheer sound of silence. And it is in this that Elijah, as it were, hears the Lord. The Lord's actual presence seems to be most manifest in a deep and mysterious silence. Now this silence isn't always easy, isn't always comfortable. It might, might be why I find it so difficult. It is quite often challenging because when we sit in silence or stand in silence or kneel in silence, things come to the surface our deepest motivations, as it were, uh, start to come into view. And Elijah is challenged by God with a very simple and straight question. What doest thou here, Elijah? Why have you run away? But as he continues to spend time in that silence, as searching and as uncomfortable as it sometimes is, he begins to hear God uh, calling him, setting out what he needs to do next. Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu to be king over Israel, and Elisha to be the prophet that um, as it were, uh, takes the mantle from you. So it's a reminder that as we rest, as it were, in the loving yet searching silence of God, we come to hear God's will for us. Then our New Testament reading from Matthew chapter 14, uh, again, it reminds us that Jesus spent regular time in silent communion with his heavenly father. Uh, this comes just after the feeding of the 5,000 and he's sent the multitudes away and told the disciples to get into a ship and he stays and goes back up the mountain and spends time in silent prayer with God. And everything that happens after as it were, flows from that silent communion. All of Jesus' action seems to flow from this silent communion that he has with the Father. He is able to walk on water, walk through uh, the, the storm and the waves. It's as if his interior tranquility uh, leads to an external peace. He's not diverted or harmed by 
the storm and the chaos around him. And then when he uh, addresses uh, Peter, he invites Peter to come out of the boat. And when Peter loses his nerve, he holds out his hand to catch him. He is that reassuring uh, presence. And then it says, when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Again, he creates this calm, this peace. It is another reminder uh, that uh, God is most to be found in silence and that when Jesus is present, he brings that peace, that stillness. Well, I'm pleased uh, that uh, tomorrow I go off on holiday for two weeks uh, to Wales, uh, to the Black Mountains. And there, uh, like Elijah, and like our Lord himself, I will be doing plenty of going up onto a mountain and uh, hopefully get a few moments of, of stillness and silence. Uh, but my challenge will be to bring that back, back into my daily life. And I hope that we all uh, might reflect on these readings and uh, try and uh, carve out that time in our day when we can be in silent communion with God the Father, because out of that silence, all, uh, all loving action flows. Amen.